What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, the Hungry Trends community sat down with Ilir Sella, founder and CEO of Slice, a dedicated marketplace and end-to-end ordering solution for over 16,000 mom-and-pop pizzerias nationwide. Instead of the 20 to 30% commissions of DoorDash and Uber Eats, Slice charges restaurants a flat $2 fee for any order above $10. We chat about everything from the $47 billion highly fragmented pizza landscape to the startup's expansion into building its very own POS system and payment solution inside a restaurant's four walls. I'm very excited to be joined by Mr. Elir Sala. He's the founder and CEO of Slice, an end-to-end digital ordering solution and marketplace arming over 16,000 independent mom and pops with the tools they need to sell online. Slice's merchants are active in 3,000 cities across the entire U.S. and are on track to process $1 billion in GMV this year. Elir, welcome aboard. Thank you so much, Matt. Always a pleasure to, to talk to you. I'm honored to be here. Excited to, to get into some of the details. I think it'll be a fun conversation. So yeah, yeah. It, I know you guys have been around for a minute. I used to live in New York and I remember this app, this website called mypizza.com. And this was what, 2010 or so? I would love to hear, uh, I, I think it'd be great for the audience to learn more about your background and kind of how you started My Pizza and then like how that brought us into uh, 2021 here. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I look, I come from three generations of small business owners in the pizzeria industry. My grandfather and my dad and my uncle, they owned a pizza shop in Manhattan in the 1970s called Charlie's Pizza on 75th Street and 3rd Avenue. I think the location may still be there, but I don't know that it's a pizza shop anymore. I personally went down the tech path. I uh, launched the tech support business and then I franchised the model um, then eventually sold the company in 2008. I bring that up because that was my MBA in franchising <laughs> and the, the incredible advantages that franchise companies have over independence. In fact, it was a very clear realization for me that independent operators in any industry are just at a massive disadvantage because they lack the economies of scale, the resources, the expertise that some of these big chains bring forward. And so after I sold that company, a lot of family members that own pizza shops wanted me to help them with websites and online marketing and SEOs. It was becoming a, you know, obviously a, a, a necessary aspect of, of a lot of businesses. And as you know, like small businesses, they look at what the big chains are doing and they want the same thing. And so <laughs> with the emergence of Papa John's and Domino's online ordering, it was everywhere. Every commercial was order online. Family members that own pizzerias wanted me to help them with websites and online ordering because that was my background. And so before rushing into to sort of this next company, I decided to spend some time and study the industry. And, um, and I learned three things that were just, I think, incredible realizations and insights that helped me gain the conviction to, to move forward. So one was that the pizza industry in the US and globally, but specifically in the US is massive, like secretly massive. So about $47 billion in revenue today 
passes through 77,000 pizza shops, primarily pizza restaurants across the U.S. That's an annual number. The second thing I learned was that I was actually operating with the assumption that the big chains make up the majority of the industry. It's actually the opposite. 75% of all locations are non-big pizza, as I call it. So Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Little Caesars, collectively they make up about 25% of all locations. And the third thing was that as I zoomed into especially Domino's and Papa John's and looking closely at their at their business model and their acceleration, what I learned was that e-commerce was driving incredible, this incredible virtuous cycle. And we'll get into the details of why. But in 2010, I think Domino's was already about 30% digital, led by their best-in-class nationwide rewards program, you know, sort of gated to their to their mobile and, and website product. And the locations, the Domino's franchisees were starting to break away in terms of same-store sales. Uh, and it was just awesome. And so what I realized was that because of the independent nature of the majority of this industry, that there was a new business model to be created that can help independents be in business for themselves, not by themselves, and ultimately realize the same values and, and benefits that franchisees benefit from and apply those to um, family-owned pizzerias, just like my own, and hopefully reach some scale so that we can convert into this massive community and pass those benefits on to each other. Um, and so my original vision was to unite local pizza. And uh, the brand was, to your point, mypizza.com. That was the website I was able to get, the domain name. And so that that's what the brand became. Um, I wrote a press release. In fact, it's still live today. If you search <laughs> mypizza.com PR web, it'll, it'll come up June 7th, 2010. And... Um, the idea was to build the most valuable brand in the pizza industry, but in this case, powered by independence and championing the authenticity and the creativity and the diversity of, of this amazing category. So launched in 2010 and bootstrapped for the next uh, almost six years. Wow. And here we are today. And here we are today. So this is like, you've, you've hinted at this before, but like, Slice is kind of this like reverse franchise model. Is that correct? You've, and I, I don't know how many people are familiar with it. I don't know how many other types of businesses exist out there in the world that are kind of similar to this reverse franchise model. But I feel like it'd be an interesting place to start to just help people kind of start to understand why a reverse franchise model works for such a fragmented marketplace yeah. where 75% of the sellers are, are independents. Yeah, and, and that's our goal. Uh, and what I realized was that we needed to sort of solve all the different points in this value chain, you know, over time. And, and we're starting to get a lot closer to realizing that reverse franchise sort of model. But why is it important? Well, I would go to family members who kept asking me for these business solutions, uh, specifically around e-commerce. And I would say, well, why didn't you open up a Papa John's? Like, why did you open up Matt's Pizzeria? <laughs> and the realization for me and, and the lesson was that most small businesses and most you know independent operators go into business because they're really passionate about a craft. Like they love what they do. 
They want to turn their passion into a business. And the franchise model has one fatal flaw in my opinion, which is it actually eliminates this creative freedom, solves all the business points, but also the trade-off is that you can't bring your, your authentic self. And so the byproduct of that is thousands of people launching pizza shops every year as if like no one ever did this before, right? Just solving every problem from step one. The second thing I learned was that even if the tools were available, I mean, in 2010, most pizza shops, in fact, even today, a lot of pizza shops don't even have a website. And so having tools or, or providing the tools to independent operators is only half the battle because that assumes that this person is now going to have the resources, the time and the know-how to leverage the tools in order to drive that business success. And then three, by default, if they are operating independently and they're not leveraging some of these economies of scale like data, buying power, shared services, well, doesn't matter. Their pricing is never gonna be better than the franchise options like Domino's. Their customer experience won't be as good because they won't have the data to be proactive. Their delivery times will be slower. So it's just this like completely inefficient uh, process because it's an independent operator. And this person is usually making food. They're having to answer the phone. They're having to service customers who are at the front desk or front uh, sort of display. And so um, what I realized was that like it's not just about the tools, but it's really more about this managed solution where Slice becomes an extension of, or back then my pizza, but it becomes an extension of these businesses so that we solve the problems and manage the solution for them. And so collectively, what we are now capable of, and we can get into some of the more recent product developments and solutions, is that a pizzeria can plug into Slice and they can focus on their craft and their passion and their creativity and their awesome customer sort of relationships that they know personally and allow Slice to handle this digital transformation and this vertical integration allows us to make them a better version of themselves ultimately. And so if you fast forward into 21 and now going into 22, we're really excited about allowing not only existing operators who have one location and want to open up a second, but also new operators who, instead of like going to Domino's and paying a million dollars to launch a, a pizzeria, they can launch their own version of it. They're, they can realize their vision and achieve the same benefits and really have the same probability of success. So, you know, part of our vision and my vision is to not only empower the existing 50,000 plus independents in the US, but in fact, launch an incremental 50,000 more locations in the US that are local family-owned pizza shops that ultimately join this like community of other like-minded operators. And I'm really excited about that. Amazing. Love it. Love love the vision. And obviously, lo- always got to respect the craft of, of small pizza shop owners. I guess b- before we dive into like the, the end-to-end solution you offer, I'm curious to get your take on what the pandemic has brought as far as like the the, the rich getting richer and, and what's happened to these smaller guys that 
maybe some of them weren't already equipped and they they were faster to fleet you know to 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 head to your platform um but you know just looking at the stock price of papa john's you know market cap basically doubled in covid dominoes went up 70 almost 75 percent um what's happened in the last year and a half with this landscape and what has that done for your business and and where's that where are we coming where are we coming out of that yeah i'm i'm really proud of the way our team responded um, I mean, we're we're a global team across five different global offices. Most of our frontline teams were um, desktop based in an office, and so, you know, the the pandemic hit like sort of a flip of a switch. It happened so suddenly, as we all know, and in parallel to sort of us having to make sure that our teams are safe and moving to remote locations and figuring out how to get them laptops and headsets and all these things. In parallel, our customers needed us more than ever, both existing and new merchants who were coming forward wanting to um, solve this problem of digital because consumers, one, didn't want to, no longer wanted to transact by, you know, exchanging cash. Two, a lot of part-time labor, so folks who are answering the phone, didn't want to go to work or, or were not allowed to go to work. Curbside pickup became such a critical aspect. So having this sort of digital presence, having uh, a delivery opportunity and a sort of takeout opportunity became critical. So for us, I mean, we, we accelerated pretty quickly. We saw a, a decline in the first couple of weeks because I think everyone sort of thought that, you know, it would be sort of a two-week thing and then we'd come out of it. So a lot of locations closed down temporarily. But after the first couple of weeks, the acceleration in volume and a lot of that being sort of consumers changing their behavior from phone or offline to digital, it was just, um, it was incredible. I mean, our business went from, you know, we we managed uh, just under 300 million in in volume for our merchants Uh, going into 2020. We're going to do over a billion this year. And so, you know, in a short window of time, just the amount of volume that sort of moved over to digital became, um, I think, just a generational shift that's now sustaining. Two, we did see a lot, like we, we had three segments of merchants. One is um, your traditional takeout and delivery pizza shop that has existed for decades, that has mastered delivery, mastered pickup, and, and they do a great job. These locations thrived. I mean, their business did really, really well. We see a lot of those operators now launching their second, third, fourth, or fifth location. Like, they did incredibly well. Then you had um, a segment of locations that serve pizza, were high quality, and didn't deliver. So, like, think of think of John's of Bleecker or mm-hmm. Pizza Loves Emily, these are New York institutions that never had to deliver. Think of Lucali. And the consumer was never, never formed a habit for delivery around these locations. And I think, uh, and what we saw unfortunately is that they really struggled to figure out the delivery aspect. And because of the timing element, they kind of all leaned in on third-party delivery, mm. which brought a lot of demand but I think accelerated 
unfortunately, the, the, the death of some of these businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of them never made it. And the third segment were predominantly restaurants, sit-down restaurants, bigger footprint, larger footprint, who had to figure out a pickup and delivery solution pretty quickly. I think those models are flawed at the core. And so, you know, a, a decent segment of those locations ultimately ended up closing down. And so I'll give you an example in the major accounts segment, CC's Pizza, which is a buffet style mm-hmm. brand. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, you know, doesn't matter that they enabled the pickup and delivery option. They they were just crushed and they're struggling to to get back out of it. Right. No, it makes total sense. And one thing, you know, one thing I want to make sure everyone understands is that it's kind of the difference in the marketplace model that you have, which is like a flat fee, right? Which basically, you know, I don't know what your AOVs are, but I'm assuming, you know, you basically, if you factor in a $30 average order, you're at, you know, you're right under 8%. Uh, you're at seven and change. So, you know, I guess let talk us through um, kind of kind of that whole situation and how the pizza category is able to how you're basically able to offer delivery because these businesses some of them have had the ability to do that for a while. You're not offering the logistics component. Yeah. But I think it'd be interesting to talk about that. Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, look, we're we're designed to, in essence, provide independence the same solution that Domino's provides their franchisees. Uh, and a Domino's franchisee is managing, you know, over 1.2 million a year on on average now uh, in terms of store sales. Compare that to about a 500,000 a year average for independence. And so, um, in order for us to offer all of these solutions sort of at once. Um, one of the things that I did was speak to a lot of family members that own pizza shops and I, and I wanted to understand what they would feel would be a fair pricing structure in order for us to create this win-win model. And what we landed on was $2 per order capped at $2. So that's how I bootstrapped was just basically a $2 per order rate. AOVs are over, uh, over $30. And so in essence, it's this sort of capped fee that amounts to about, you know, somewhere between 6 and 8%. Uh, we also assumed the cost of payment processing, and, and that's how we got to about, you know, 4,000 locations. And it worked incredibly well. We allow for cash or, or credit card payments, and we manage the website, the domain name of the pizza shop, the website, their online presence, integrations with Google, Google food ordering and Facebook and Instagram. We perform the CRM. So the beauty is that once customers do order on Slice from Matt's Pizzeria, our CRM, automated CRM flow powered by data starts taking over and make sure that you come back more frequently. Our product upsells you so that you can order more food. And so the the outcome of this is just a much more um, valuable independent business incremental demand as a result of making your existing customers more valuable and a more, much more efficient business. Streamlined, you know, don't have to depend on the phone where we learned 22% of phone calls go unattended. Um, don't have to make mistakes because you're writing things down. Um, so ultimately it just became this incredible win-win model. And I'll give you the example. You know, we have some 
awesome partners, and I use this one pretty often, which is Billy's Pizzeria in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. You know, as we started to scale our revenue for Billy's, I mean, by the point we, but once we started managing about 50% of their business, which is where we are, or close to it today, the cost to Billy's was what they would have to pay one half of one employee using this model of $2 per order. And, um, you know, it, it, what employee of, of any business is driving, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per year in revenue, taking on the responsibility of serving those customers, answering customer service calls, you name it. And um, once we realized that that was the winning formula, you know, we just sort of chose to scale that way. But we're designed as a core partner. We're designed as to, to be an extension of, of, of these businesses. So when you're dealing with the CRM, one thing I was thinking is like, one of the problems with with a lot of marketplaces is that can customers start to decouple the idea or like they can't really decouple a restaurant from the app and they think I'm hungry. Let me launch DoorDash. I'm, you know, need a ride. Let me open Uber. I need groceries. Let me launch Instacart. Now it's, I need pizza. Let me open slice. But how are you sandboxing, I guess, those individual merchants, right? So it's like, so that they're, they're not acquiring a customer for Billy's and then sending them to, Mateo's down the street or something yeah. like, how do you do that? Well, let me, let me zoom out. One, we manage a direct product for each one of our merchants. And that is a one-to-one relationship. That is Ylir connected to Billy's pizza. And we manage that transaction. Same for Billy's pizza on Google food ordering. Same for Billy's pizza in, you know, across most platforms where there's demand. Then we've got our marketplace product, which we believe is the winning model for a handful of reasons. But yes, as the consumer then migrates over to the Slice app and you want them to open the Slice app, the reality is that there's a tension between what an owner of of an independent location wants and what the consumer wants. And what we learned is the following. Owners believe that every customer needs to be loyal to them or at least their customers. And the consumer is in fact loyal to about four or five local pizza shops equally. You know, they have their four favorites and they just want the experience with those four locations to be incredibly streamlined, inexpensive, rewarding as we call it. You know, uh, they want it to be trusted and uh, they want it to just be like super quick. So. So what I tell operators is, look, at the end of the day, all of this works sort of both ways. While Slice is designed to be a loyalty first platform, basically, we're designed to connect you to to your four local favorites, reward you for that behavior, and make sure that collectively, together, it's sort of this tide that lifts all boats. Our goal is to grow the revenue of each one of our partners. And so it's very difficult to promise an owner growth if we're not meeting the demands of the consumer and what the consumer wants. And ultimately, that's sort of the formula that we've that we've discovered. It's one to four for every consumer. They have four local favorites. And our job isn't to like introduce consumers to all these new locations. It's more about 
making their relationships with those four locations easy, accessible, rewarding. And if we do that, all four locations will win. Fascinating. Yeah, I love, love that approach or that kind of hybrid white label-esque, but on with the marketplace as well. Yeah, it's, it's a loyalty first, if it makes sense. I know it's sort of a contradiction in a way, but it's a loyalty first marketplace. Got it. Yep. Merchant loyalty. Yeah, very, very interesting. How did you, you know, one of the recent announcements, I guess a few months back was the POS system and then more recently payments. You know, how did you, I mean, has this been on the roadmap for a long time? How did, what was kind of the insight that unlocked the, that need that, you know, like, this was going to become a necessary thing and, and where, where are you headed next as far as the entire stack of, of tools here? Yeah. In order for us to really empower operators to win, we ultimately need to make sure that we have visibility into what's happening with their business end to end. And that's what drove the production of Slice Register and ultimately the launch of Slice Register. What we really want to do is embrace omni-channel um, use that uh, hub, in essence, to get visibility into what all customers want, how they behave, what are the demand curves, and then leveraging that data to make the owner or the operator more proactive with their business and make better business decisions because without the data, we are powerless. We can't, it's, it's really difficult to, uh, uh, to sort of educate the operator Rolling out register is a, a pretty big ask. It's a, it's a big change for a lot of merchants because it does require in some cases for them to change their workflow, to kind of moving from a cash register and, and phone based to, to more you know digital first. So we introduced payments so that we can at least sort of have our foot in the door and get access to some of the data without having to replace the workflow, one, two, we're bringing forward economies of scale. So because we're managing significant volume through payment processing, we can pass that back to each merchant. Uh, and so they're saving, in some cases, you know, half a point or one, one entire point in terms of payment processing. They'll go from 3% per transaction to 2% per transaction, most typically. So those are the two main reasons we brought that forward. But ultimately, the goal here is how do we get visibility into what's happening at each location? How do we then use that data to empower the operator to make better decisions about pricing, inventory, delivery times or pickup times? You know, how many drivers do I need? Because a lot of this business is so repetitive and so habitual, you can become super smart about your customer base and what each day is going to look like. And that's our goal. Amazing. So, so the payment product actually works uh, in in store, and that's that's not necessarily a transaction that's um, that is originating from Slice. That's correct. correct. The payments product is managing payments and transactions for all customers who are prepaying using a debit card or a credit card, and then Got Slice it. is the merchant of record for all all the e-commerce orders passing through Slice. Right. And, and now we have a lot of visibility about the demand curves. And again, right. the beauty of it is that it lowers the cost to the merchant. Uh, in fact, trying to do our best to sell it at cost to slice. Wow. And then 
again, too, makes us much smarter about where where this merchant needs uh, needs the most help. Awesome. And, you know, when it comes to the delivery side of this, I know you have like the management um, software that is, is effectively like an on fleet for slice merchants. Mm-hmm. How were pizzerias like finding more delivery guys in the middle of COVID and like how have they typically um, handled that amidst uh, the gig economy? It's it's uh, it depends on the market. It's definitely a little bit challenging. It's pretty clear that the strategy for DoorDash, Uber Eats and others is to go into a market and completely out resource independent operators. Basically, they're paying drivers a premium to drive for DoorDash instead of driving for the pizzeria or the Chinese takeout and whatnot. And um, and they're basically sort of drying up the market of any any delivery drivers who want to work directly for a pizzeria. And then they go to the pizzeria and they'll say, hey, like you can't afford or you can't find drivers. Well, why not use DoorDash? And then once they can do that at scale in one market, then they lower the price or really the rates for the driver increase the price for the merchant um, <laughs> and it becomes this sort of vicious cycle. So because of that reason, and look, I'm, I'm just speaking reality, but because of that reason, it did become really, really tough for operators to get access to part-time labor or delivery drivers. It remains a challenging proposition, but I actually believe that the best experience for the customer is what we call first-party delivery. It is uh, drivers who are held accountable by owners who care about their product and then data influencing their behavior. And if we can do that, I believe the driver is going to make more money. The owner is going to be more successful. Uh, the customer experience will be better. This is all sort of one virtuous cycle. Because uh, I just think third-party delivery where there's multiple nodes, multiple deliveries, drivers who are I mean, no one holds accountable, right? Because they're third party independent. Ultimately, the end product for the consumer is just not good enough. It just isn't. So, yeah, I definitely believe in first party delivery. That's the that's the solution we're trying to, to unlock. Awesome. I think this is a great segue to one of the questions we had come in from from a, a reader named Brian, who was asking basically what your take is on kind of virtual brands and dark pizzeria concepts. So would you ever, the question is, would you ever launch one of those? And as a follow-up to that, what do you think of um, companies like DoorDash who are, you know, basically now competing against the very restaurants that they're aggregating through, you know, some of their own uh, maybe robotic virtual brands or, you know, maybe even, you know, ghost kitchens that they're basically becoming first party sellers? Yeah, so uh, two-part question. Uh, first, I think uh, virtual brands are a pretty interesting marketing tactic. That's really all it is, in, in my opinion. You know, if you look at a, in our in our industry, pizzerias have a lot of different menu categories. A lot of them sell wings. In, in fact, wings are second to pizza in terms of volume on Slice. Wow. Um, they sell wraps. They sell salad. They sell pasta. They sell dessert, beverages, you name it. And so what virtual brands are basically doing is more or less pulling one of these menu categories out and turning it into another listing so that the same location can now get more visibility. And it was a competitive advantage 
early on. But once everyone else starts doing it, then you're just kind of like bundling and unbundling, if, if that makes sense. But, you know, some of the things that I like are virtual brands that bring menu categories forward to locations that may not have them. And then virtual brands that are tied to like some of these big personalities, because again, ultimately it creates this um, sort of marketing aspect to it. It, it. it creates demand. So one of my favorite a brand that has been executed incredibly well is Mr. Beast Burger. Um, I think that's a really solid example of a virtual brand working out well. And Mr. Beast has just this maniacal following, right? But ultimately, what, what they're doing is driving demand to restaurants that already made burgers. They're just now rebranded. And obviously, they have some level of consistency. I don't know how consistent it is, but <laughs> they try to create some level of consistency in terms of what these bur burgers are like. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting. Um, for the most part, I truly believe it's more of a marketing tactic and and it's and it's interesting. I thought you were going to say Bitcoin pizza for a second, but I guess not. <laughs> well, Pomp is, uh, <laughs> is a good friend and um, it's yet another example, right? It's... Um, it, it drove some demand and awareness to the local restaurants. My concern is when the brand starts trying to become sort of a competing brand, like I think we need less Bitcoin pizzas with all due respect and more focus on what makes John's of Bleecker special. Mm. Uh, I think we need more local brands, less national brands. And so that's what Slice is about, is local brands, which is why we've kind of stayed away from these sort of homogenized national brands because I think national brands are already, I don't know, I'm not so excited about, I'm excited about local brands with local stories, with rich history, unique aspects. And I want that debate of what is the best pizza in neighborhood A and like <laughs> why, right? We want, we want to really make sure that that debate lives on for decades to come. The second part of that is uh, DoorDash. So, look, three um, DoorDash is what's called a three-sided marketplace. For those that may not be aware of the business model, so is Uber Eats, so is um, Postmates, and so on and so forth. And so they have three sides because they have to make sure that the consumer, the restaurant owner, and the driver all make money out of one transaction. So one single transaction, and this transaction can be made outside of DoorDash. And so you can't really charge too much more, right? Like it's gotta be comparable price to like calling. Well then, then the money has to come from somewhere, right? How are all these three parties getting paid or getting value? And, and, and the price point is almost equal to calling for the consumer. And so they get paid two ways. One is 30, 40% take rates for the, for the merchant which is insane, but some pay it. And then the other is just subsidies by uh, investors. So they raised, you know, boatloads of money and they will subsidize the transaction in order to create this sort of winner take all dynamic where once all the demand is there, then they can sort of play around with pricing. And, you know, interestingly, in a once in a lifetime moment, pandemic, everyone's staying at home, somehow DoorDash still didn't really make money. 
<laughs> and so the question is like, when will they? Well, the answer to that is when they figure out how to automate one of those three sides. Well, let's put the consumer aside because they, you can't automate the consumer. You can't just like fabricate <laughs> demand. So that's, put that to the side. That means they have to replace either the merchant or the driver. Mm-hmm. And so if we snap our fingers and tomorrow there's autonomous delivery, DoorDash will be an awesome business because they no longer have to pay drivers. And that part of the equation is completely solved. High margin because it's predominantly software and off they go. Or they have to replace the merchant. So they have to replace sort of the same restaurants that they aggregated. They have to own that side of the equation. And today that is a lot easier than autonomous delivery. And so what DoorDash is doing is not only starting to sort of buy robots. I know, you know, uh, Matt, you, you, you kind of spoke to this in one of your posts about Sal. Was it Sally, the, the robot? Mm-hmm. Chatbotics acquisition. Yeah. Yep. So that there is an acquisition where they bought a salad making platform that they can plug in to different locations that they either own or partner with. And now that robot, in essence, is making product directly for DoorDash, but DoorDash doesn't have to pay that robot a merchant fee or for, for the food. So, so they own the entire sort of value chain on the, on the merchant side. The other thing that they're doing is just basically building hundreds of, uh, of call it dark stores where they can store both commoditized products you know, CPG products, but also are testing, you know, unique menu items that they're basically learning are in high demand in each local market based on what their local merchants are selling. So I think a combination of these things is really what's leading to DoorDash sort of investing heavily in owning its own supply instead of selling somebody else's. Yeah, it's um, very reminiscent of Amazon basics, as I like to say. Yeah, interestingly though, like Amazon went from first party to third party. Amazon went from owning most of its products and selling most of its own products to now the vast majority of Amazon is actually marketplace products. They actually don't sell Mm. their own products, but they do sell the services that enable those products to be sold like fulfillment center, logistics, et cetera, et cetera. But it's um it's an interesting it's going to be an interesting next call it 5 years. Okay, so when a a question from our reader, I don't know if this is sarcastic or not, but he says, "Do you plan to hurt Domino's a little or crush them?" I admire Domino's. I think Domino's <laughs> is a best in class business. Pizza is not a winner take all industry. The beauty is that there is room for Domino's, which is you know, now a 15 or $20 billion company. I think it's 20 billion now. Uh, They have 6,000 locations in the US. They do very well. And there are about 50, 55,000 small business restaurants that are pizza restaurants in the US that collectively manage about $30 billion in transactions. Uh, And so, you know, I think there is room for a Domino's and a local pizzeria. What I do want to make sure is that you know, our mission is to keep local thriving. So our goal really is to make sure that at least we sort of bridge the gap and level the playing field for independent operators who 
are passionate about their their own product and their own craft. Um, we have another reader is asking. I know. Could you speak to was is Billy's the highest um, volume shop on your platform? No, we have uh, we have locations on on Slice now that are fast approaching about a million dollars a year in volume just on Slice. Wow! Uh, and a lot wow. of that is incremental. Um, and Slice becomes really their their core partner. Like we're we're the ones who are managing most of their volume. And so, so you're saying that those guys are seeing over fifty percent of their sales come in from Slice. Yes, and it's important because. A, a relationship with a DoorDash, as an example, makes it impossible. The economics are impossible. Like, it is impossible to make the economics work where DoorDash is managing more than 50% of the volume for a merchant. The merchant would be out of business. At a 30 right. or 40% take rate, you cannot sustain that level of, um, of e-commerce you know, in terms of volume. And, and e-commerce is critical to, to success. Totally. Uh, we have Marcus here in the chat asking, have you thought about entering a new cuisine such as tacos or maybe wings? <laughs> I mean, look, um, our merchants sell a lot of wings. I think I'm, I'm excited to bring this sort of virtual franchise or reverse franchise model to new categories, but we have to earn the right to get there. And there are a couple of areas that I want to really focus on now that we've earned the trust and the relationship with our merchants I want us to focus on the supply side. So really aggregating buying power for pizza boxes, cups, plates, napkins, potentially then some of the perishable ingredients. And then the other one is financial services. Uh, we are the merchant of record, as I mentioned. Today, we transmit a payment back to each merchant. A lot of times it's in the form of a check. They then take that and go to like, I don't know, TD Bank, <laughs> they deposit it. Wait another two days for the month for the funds to clear. Then they have to go and process payroll, pay suppliers, do a bunch of stuff, pay utilities. And it's such a broken system. And so leveraging technology, what I want to be able to do is say, look, we'll give you this beautiful debit card with your own branding on it, Matt's Pizzeria's debit card. We'll give you access to an account, but we'll process your payroll. We'll you know, give you access to short-term capital if you have an unforeseen, you know, business event. Maybe your oven broke for three days or there was a blizzard in New York and you couldn't open for four days. Well, small businesses don't get that money back. They don't, they don't make that up. It's impossible. So these are some of the solutions that I'm really excited by. Um, as we unlock them, we'll start thinking about new verticals. Amazing. A lot of parallels drawn to Square. My mind is is definitely racing, but we'll have to save that for another time. I know we're coming out of time here. Finally, if people want to get started on Slice, tell them where to go. And then final, final question, what is your regular order on Slice? Who is the merchant and what are you, what are you getting? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Slice is at slicelife.com on, uh, online or just download the Slice app. Just search Slice on iOS or Android. Um, if you want to look at some open roles, we have, we're hiring aggressively across the board. Just go to slicelife.com slash careers and check out some of the, some of the amazing opportunities. My go-to order, I, it, I'm a, I'm a classic cheese pizza person. Mm. So I think the best pizza is, uh, needs no toppings. 
and is 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 made okay. sort of purely with just cheese. To sit down, I go to Pizzeria Giove, uh, which is okay. on Staten Island in New York. To order delivery, like most customers, I kind of rotate. I have Prime Pizza, mm-hmm. which is uh, on Highland Boulevard in Staten Island. I have Justino's, which is sort of this very quick, fast nearby. And then I, I will order delivery from um, from Pizzeria Giove, which is more of the high end, slightly more expensive, but it's like, it's incredible. So those are the three. Awesome. Well, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for taking the time all the way live from Macedonia, from your, your <laughs> satellite office there. So that was pretty cool to see. Thanks so much and, and hope to... Uh, to chat again real soon. Thanks so much, Alir. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a firsthand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter.